The angry black woman stereotype is a racist trope that portrays black women as sassy, ill-mannered, and naturally ill-tempered. While it mostly happens to black women in mainstream American culture, it also extends to African society, regardless of where they live. And we are continuing our conversation about black women being unfairly labeled as angry. Even on the smaller scale, it's when you're in a room and you're having conversation and people call you aggressive or they say like... If you pay attention, you'll notice that women who are vocal, successful, and not afraid to speak their minds are always labeled angry or bitter. Like Serena Williams, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, and even former U.S. First Lady Michelle Obama. Hi, my name is Aisha Salahuddin, and I like girls. This is a podcast about African women and the different experiences life throws at us just for being women. In this episode, we interrogate the main girl stereotype. Hi, everyone. My name is Janice Gassam Asare. I am a consultant, a professor, and a writer, and I am based in the New York City area. Janice's parents are originally from Cameroon, but they moved to the U.S. many, many years ago. As professors, they traveled around the States a lot, and so did Janice. Because when my parents got here, my dad is like, you all need to be American. So he changed or he modified our last name to be more Americanized. Um, and then my my dad refused to have my mom teach us their native language or teach us French. So, you know, he was like, I don't want my kids to be in English as a second language classes. I want them to be American. So, you know, I didn't learn how to cook any of the native food. And so, you know, I, I felt sort of like not an authentic and real Cameroonian um, compared to other like first generation or Cameroonian kids that I knew. And then I never felt fully black because obviously my parents come from another culture. And I think that there is a right. black American culture that I, I never really felt like I, I quite understood. But anytime I was in an environment and I saw other black people, I would try to bond with them because I feel like regardless of what culture or country we grew up in, we have like a shared, we have so many shared experiences as black people globally. I've picked up two things. One, Janice grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood and had to navigate being black and surrounded by people who looked nothing like her. Two, She's Cameroonian, but knows very little about her culture. So she also had to navigate feeling like she wasn't an authentic African. It was very difficult. I'm not going to um, even lie. And I felt like I was always yearning to have a culture and never feeling like I fully had that culture. So, you know, we didn't visit Cameroon until I was in my 20s. So I grew up not knowing my relatives, not being able to speak to my relatives because they speak my parents' native language of Bamalake and they speak French and we don't speak either of those. I felt more Black American than I felt Cameroonian because I felt like I grew up in America. I grew up and had experiences as a, as a Black child and I could relate to more of the Black American experience than I felt I could uh, relate to the Cameroonian experience. So I, uh, you know, but I of course still felt ostracized because when I was in uh, black, mostly black spaces. So I lived in Minnesota. And then when we came back to Virginia, we ended up moving to um, an area of Virginia called Virginia Beach. And um, it's about three hours from Washington, D.C. 
And when I went there, I went to an all black school the last two years of high school. And when I would meet people, they would be like, why do you talk like that? You talk white, 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 white. It was a lot for Janice to deal with. She spent a lot of time trying to find herself. After many years of soul searching, she finally did. There, however, was no secret wand to wave or magic spell to cast for her to learn to accept herself without agonizing about her Cameroonian heritage or her American life. It took time, a lot of time passed before she could say, this, I'm who I am and everyone else has to deal with it. Um, and at some point, I realized that like who I am was enough and I didn't need to do that. Um, and so I'm glad to be at that point in my life where I have fully accepted myself in all of my uniqueness. And I think that many of us go through that period where we're trying to find ourselves and we finally realize that who we are in all of our fullness is enough. I think it's really important for me to make the distinction that I'm not Black American because I understand that. And what I realize now, um, especially in the last few years, is that the Black American experience is vastly different from my experience. And even though I identify as a Black person living in America, I am not Black American. And I'm when you're a descendant of enslaved people, there is a, a certain level of generational trauma you carry or you may carry. And as a person whose parents came here freely, I, I understand and recognize that that comes with many levels of privilege. Remember that Janice's parents are educators. She decided to follow in their footsteps and become an academic. She's got a BSc, MA, and a PhD in applied organizational psychology. Her first real encounter with the mean girl stereotype was when she started teaching a couple of years ago. But last March, something really interesting happened. I think it was when I started teaching. Um, and and even before that, you know, I think um, I've always been the only black woman navigating white spaces. So I, I think that um, like looking back, I saw it, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't have the language for it. So I think um, when I was in the workplace, I always felt like I couldn't be, I had to be soft-spoken. I couldn't be assertive. And one thing about me, I'm very just blunt and straightforward and to the point. And I felt like a lot of times that worked against me where my bluntness and my straightforwardness, people misconstrued. And I actually had an incident um, also while I was teaching um, where a group of students had complained about me and said that they were, um, you know, they complained to somebody who was above me about my teaching style, right? And I had a conversation with um, with this the professor who brought it to my attention. And he said, wow, I teach my class the same way. I have no idea why they would complain about the way you teach it. I teach it the exact same way, the Socratic method where you pose questions to the students and have them discussing questions for better understanding. And in my head, I'm like, duh, I know why. You know, you're a white man, I'm a young black woman. It's obvious, you know, and I was just thinking that. And, you know, these students, they went to this person and they said, um, we don't like the way she's teaching the class. We don't feel like she's learning, da, 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 da. 
And then when they weren't satisfied with the response that this professor gave, because he and I are friends and he had my back and he was kind of like, yeah, well, I'll speak with her. But other than that, you know, I guess they weren't satisfied with the response. They went above him and they, they went to his, essentially his supervisor and they spoke with him about, with that supervisor about it. And they ended up, um, you know, they, what I heard back from the grapevine is that they said that they were, they used the exact words that they were too scared to talk to me. And for anyone listening that like knows me personally, I think that the type of personality that I have is not one in which people have ever said that they were scared of me. In class, Janice made sure to go the extra mile to keep her students engaged and comfortable. So it was quite surprising to hear that they were scared of her. And um, so I think that that is how I try to make things relatable. And I try to use things that they understand and speak in in ways that I think they'll understand. So a lot of the courses I teach are in, um, or students I teach are MBA students and master's students getting their degrees in HR. So I try to use examples. So if there's a way that I could tie in like Beyonce and Cardi B, then I'll do that because I feel like that's those are the things that the kids understand. In one of my classes a few weeks ago, I quoted a Jay-Z song. So that was that was nice to be able to do that because it was relevant. Um, so I was talking about corporate America. This was in my diversity, equity, and inclusion course. I was talking about corporate America. And in um, in this song, Black Excellence, Jay-Z, or sorry, Mer- it's called Excellence. Excellence, Jay-Z has a song with Kanye West. And he said, um, he said something like Domino's. I always see a a few blacks the higher I go. So I imagined it to be like Jay-Z's talking about how corporate America is like a domino. And if you know what a domino looks like, it's just a white rectangle with a few black dots. And that's how I see corporate America. And I think that's how Jay-Z was describing it. There were times she would go out of her way to be kind or dress a certain type of way because she thought it would be acceptable to her majorly white class. No, absolutely. I um, definitely think of one example of what I would do is my hair. And um, I have 4C hair. And um, for anyone listening that has 4C hair as well, you may know how um, challenging it's been my whole life to... Um, take care of my hair. And I'm not uh, good with my hands. I'm not one of those people. I admire those people that know how to do hair. I'm not one of those people. I don't know how to do anything with my hair. And I always, I love hairstyles, different hairstyles. I always have different hairstyles. And I used to be so terrified to walk into a classroom as a, and I look younger than I am. You know, I'm 34 and my students think that I'm in my early 20s. So I look like a student already and I, you know, I'm black and I'm a woman and I was always like, oh, I don't want to be too black. You know, I'm already black. I don't want to come in with like um, Fulani braids or with Bantu knots or, you know, I was always afraid of being quote unquote too black. And that's, that's a recurring theme I've experienced in my life where I felt like I couldn't express myself and say the things I wanted to say because I would be perceived as being too black. Janice extended herself in ways she knew were documented to make students feel free to talk to their professors, but none of it was enough. Her students still saw her as the main black woman that they couldn't talk to. 
Aisha, the, the funniest part, and it's funny is not really the word, but the most ironic part is that I teach in an HR program. So these are students that will be human resource professionals in your organization, and they don't have the ability to speak with the professor that they've never spoke with about this and say, hey, professor, we wanted to talk to you about your teaching style. Um, we're, feel we're feeling like we're not gaining as much from the course as we could. Is there any way that they had no conversations like that with me? They literally went above my administrator to another administrator and they pulled the class from me. They didn't speak with me at all. Janice is no longer allowed to teach the course based on the complaints from her students. And it really hurt her. <laughs> you know, and these are the types of things that as Black professors, we experience. And it's very exhausting for us. There's no other way to describe it. And I think what, what invigorates me is I love the students. Um, but when things like this happen, it just, it, you know, it, it it's, it's, makes me sad because I, I try to teach the course in a way that they'll gain the most value from it. I stay after hours and I try to mentor students. But when things like this happen, um, it makes me just feel like I'm not a, I'm not valued and I'm not a valued member of my institution um, or, or an organization because I know people may feel like this in their workplace. So I, I think experiencing things like that in academia, I'm trying to change it from inside. And I'm, I try to be hopeful that change can actually happen, but it, it can be very exhausting. Academia can be especially tough for Black women. According to a 2019 report in the Journal of Feminist Studies, Black women are pressed to shoulder race and gendered expectation in the academia. That negatively impacts their personal and professional quality of life. Janice admits that it's difficult, but she's able to cope with the stereotypes and aggressions by reaching out to people she can relate with and talk to. Um, I have I have a few friends I can reach out to, so that is helpful. Um, and then I try to what I try to do in my writing um, is amplifying the stories of mistreatment that Black people experience in um, academia, and wherever I can. I try to highlight these stories to let other Black people know that they're not alone and know that it's okay to speak out because I think I didn't feel comfortable speaking out about many of my experiences. And I want Black people to know that it's okay to speak out and that they can speak out um, when these things happen. So that's very important, de developing that community of people who you can lean on, and also hearing more about these types of stories when they happen. Janice has written a lot about Black women in academia and about Black women in general. Her book, The Pink Elephants, published in 2020, is about how organizations can be inclusive and anti-racist. It's her way of fighting the system. Oh, and she has some advice for Black women in academia. Um, so I would just try to also lean on the community of people that you've developed. And if you don't have a community, I would say the Internet is a great place to find people who have similar experiences as you um, that you can connect with and lean on when you're going through these experiences. But you don't have to stay in those toxic environments. Hey y'all, Aisha Salahuddin here again. 
I'm interrupting this episode to let you know that this is the final episode for season one of I Like Girls. Thank you so much for listening. The team and I appreciate it. We're going to take a break for eight weeks before we start researching producing season two. I promise you, it's going to be bigger and much better. Follow I Like Girls pod on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn so that you don't miss out on any of our announcements and activities. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcast and subscribe to our newsletter. The link is in the episode notes. Okay, I'll let you get back to the episode. My name is Nelly Sangmulana. I am a Cape Tonian based in Johannesburg um, and I run my own public relations and reputation management agency here in South Africa. As a child, Nelisa loved words. She wasn't sure what to aspire to in terms of a job, but she knew it had to involve reading and writing. So I felt like I needed to find a profession in which I could express that writing. Um, and my first um, inclination was to go into journalism, which is kind of the route I followed in university. But after university, I landed up um, working part-time for a public relations agency. And up until that point, I had never, ever considered, you know, a career path in communications and PR. I never actually really knew that it existed. And at the time, um, you couldn't do public relations at university. You could do it at a college, at a Technicon um, here in SA. So when I ended up there and I realized that, oh, actually, this is actually something that I enjoy. I get to write, I get to be creative, I get to, you know, come up with interesting concepts, etc. So my career then started moving in that direction. However, I never lost the interest in, in journalism itself, right? So I would over time go on to pursue studies um, in, in journalism. But my career in PR happened purely by chance, I and mean, more about 17 years ago. South Africa has the largest white population in Africa, so race is still very much a big deal in the country. Um, Cape Town is a very, uh, is a very kind of, um, it's a very polarized city around race, right? So black people are in a very specific, you know, uh, live there, white people live there, and we kind of interact awkwardly at work and at school. Nelisa's work journey was filled with many instances of racism and people mistaking her confidence for aggressiveness. For example, when she was in her late 20s, she got this promotion to head the comms department at a PR company. I think I had just gone for one interview, then um, a client from the from my previous job um, approached me and then they said, look, we have this opportunity for a head of communications. Uh, are you interested? So, so I was just like, what? Yes. When? Tell me when. So, so, so what excited me about this prospect of this new job was that, um, it was a trade union, but it was a trade union that had, um, products in 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 the normal healthcare market. So they had like, um, so they were selling for profit. They were selling in a for profit market, right? But with this very much socialist outlook. 
so that spoke to me quite a lot because the um the reason for being for the product was around making sure that um healthcare is universally accessible to as quality healthcare is, is as accessible as possible to people so Nelisa really liked this company. It was predominantly black, so she didn't have to worry about navigating racism. But she realized she was the only woman in the group of managers, and she was the youngest. When she joined, she got to work building her team, starting with an executive assistant. I then, uh, I hired, so HR gave me like a list. I went for her because she had the right experience, and also because she was a, she was a black woman, right? So I went for her naturally, I guess. Um and I felt that, you know, we would we would build a quick rapport, quicker rapport because I needed somebody who was going to start and just get on with it. Um and I was also about to go and leave for some time. Um so I needed I needed to just, you know, get down to it and just and just get it done. Her credentials were very strong. So she started, um, and things. So in my head, I'm like, I'm not expecting that I need to explain my role in relation to hers because coming in, her role was clear and it's support to me, right? So she was coming in kind of like a PA role. She observed something that left her confused not long after hiring this woman. So so what was happening was that obviously because she's reporting to me she's there to assist me I have to instruct her to do things but what I noticed was that um because uh, as the managers we sometimes worked closely together and because comms is like I work with a lot of departments I would notice a difference versus if I ask her something to do something and someone else from another department asks her to do something like the response time is different etc so I started asking myself that okay am I making unreasonable requests here am I not clear about what it is that needs to be done right because I felt like because in my head I was just like there's no way that she's doing this because I'm a younger black woman right there's no way because in my head I'm like there's no way she like in fact it did not occur to me at the time um that 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 you know that would be a thing i i felt like there's no way that there could be resistance it was only much later so i then went on leave i was away for a couple of weeks i had been off i'd gone to hospital for a procedure and then so i'd kind of like been so what i noticed while i was on leave was that i would so the arrangement i'd made with my boss was that i'll work from home for as long as i can until i've recovered but i will check in all the time and that's where our relationship was like you know that was the biggest test of our relationship hers and mine because she was now my eyes and ears at the office so i would then obviously check in with her you know and kind of like we'll send her a list this is what i need done can you set this up can you set that up so she needed to be my person while i was there while i wasn't there and i found that like the resistance i could even hear it in the tone of voice like you know i'd like follow up and be like oh 
you know, this letter was supposed to have gone to that person. Has it gone? These phone calls needed to be made. And, you know, I could like, at some point I was expecting her to be like, ah, I'm not doing that. So I could feel it. Like I was like, as as I'm at home, I'm just like, oh, I just wish I could get into my car and go to work because like, I can just feel, I can just, I, I I can just feel that there's something that's not okay. So when I came back, my boss called me immediately and then he was like, um, HR had given him uh, the contracts that are up for renewal and mine was there. Nanisa would later find out that this woman's attitude was because she couldn't bear to take work orders from a person younger than her. Her boss didn't think she should renew her assistant's contract. Basically, she had been trash-talking Nalisa the entire time she was away from the office. So I then made my decision immediately that I do not want to have somebody like that's not the kind of team that I want to build. Um, like I don't want that. So I then said to HR that yeah. I'm not going ahead with the extension. And then I called her in. Um, then I called her yeah. in and I said to her, look, um, uh, I said to her, when I called her, I said, I, I want to thank you for uh, for all your effort and the, you know, and the assistance and the support. Um, however, I won't be renewing your 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 contract. Um, then she said, um, then she said, oh, thank you, thank you for the opportunity, whatever. And also, I had I had extended her contract twice actually during that time that she was there with me. Right. Um, so she kind of knew at some point it would come to an end. Then she said to me, I want to say something to you. So I then I said, okay. Then she said to me, I realized when I got here that I've never been in a position where I had to take instruction from a younger black woman. She told Nalisa that, in a way, she had stereotyped her as angry and mean because she had never experienced taking orders from someone younger than she was. As a result, she interpreted all of Nalisa's confidence and assertiveness as anger and meanness. As you can probably tell, women in some cases have been conditioned to fall for the angry black woman trope. It's just that, in most cases though, men and non-black persons are usually the perpetrators of the stereotype. At that point, she was pretty much trying to apologize because what I, and and this is something that I started quite early on in my career, it started at that point actually, where I realized that for me, I was never going to start a fight with, like I was not going to ask her for an explanation, but I knew that she knew that I know now what had happened. But I was not going to have a gossip session about, oh, he told me you said that, she told me you said that. But the fact that she knew that I knew was enough for both of for me anyway. So she then said, um, oh, I, I, you know, I, I struggled with, I struggled with that, and I realized that as a result, it may have come across as if I was being disrespectful to you, and I was not, you know, doing what you wanted. And I said to her, look, for me, I'm very disappointed that it had come to that, that you felt that you had to behave this way towards me and for no particular reason, because, you know, 
when I I spent a lot of time, I said to her, and I said, over time, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what is it that I'm doing that is making you so unhappy here. Because for me, my interpretation was that you are unhappy. So this is my department, but you are unhappy and nothing has changed in the way that we run the department, in the way that I work. So I questioned like myself quite a quite a lot because I felt that A, I was not giving you the right instructions or B, I was maybe coming across as being disrespectful to you or C, like, you know, I was not creating an environment where you felt uncomfortable. It's kind of like when you invite somebody to your home and you try to be as hospitable as possible, but you can see that the person is not happy, you know, and at some point you don't know what to do. So I said to her that for me, that's what's disappointing about this, that um, you made me feel that way uh, for no reason. And the only reason is that you you really like literally feel like you could not take um, instruction from a younger person. The woman left the company and Nelisa moved on, creating her dream team. She stayed in the company for about five years before taking a break to go back to school. It was while she was in school that she decided to start her own PR company. Nelisa has many more examples of microaggressions from clients and partners towards her when she started her business. But her experience with Das older assistants and previous jobs equipped her with information on how to deal with situations like that. We talked for a long time, and she said she has no interest in managing people. Not anymore. She doesn't want to be the supervisor everyone thinks is mean, just because she's doing her job. On my own, um, part of the motivation for me to start my own business is that I did not want to manage people anymore. I had enough of managing people. So um, so I work with um, consultants on projects. Um, and the time that I did manage, have... People, I think I had hired about six people. I had about six people in the team. The angry black woman stereotype presents itself in different ways. It's not always aggressive, like with Genesis students. It can be an unconscious bias, like with Nelisa's accountant. Either way, it's important for us to recognize it when it happens and to call it out. Just because a woman is strong-willed doesn't mean she's angry or annoying. Thank you for listening to this episode of I Like Girls. If you want to get in touch, visit ilikegirls.co. Also, if you like this episode, please rate and review us on whatever platform you're listening on. This episode is produced by me, Aisha Salahuddin. Audio engineering is by Mo Isu. Samia Salamatu is our editor. Miriam Momoyele is our graphic designer. And our theme music is by Banks with a double G. The other music you heard throughout this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to our partners, Radio Now 95.3 FM, Newswire Nigeria, and Femme Africa. I'll catch you all in 2022, next season.